Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you be the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and on this week's show, Steve and I speak with Randy Gerber. Now, Randy's someone I reference a lot in my work, so I was really excited to talk to him about his work. Randy is the founder of Gerber LLC, which works exclusively with first-generation entrepreneurs just like him, and their offer extends beyond financial advice to really look at the issues that connect life, business, and finance. Now, one thing you'll notice is that Randy gets two things very right, among other things, of course. Uh, First, he has a very clear understanding of why he works with this target group, And second, he's built his entire business around their unique needs. Now, none of this happened overnight. So we talked to Randy about transitioning to a business with this level of focus. And of course, we talked to him about the impact on referrals. Randy's a member of the Raymond James Financial Services Leaders Council, has been a part of their Executive Council, and is a two-year member of the Chairman's Council. And with that, let's get on with the show. Well, Randy, thank you so much for taking the time today. Very excited to talk to you. Happy to be here. Enjoy so, this. It, well, I, you know, I have been stalking you, as I've told you, for some time since <laughs> I, since I discovered what you were doing uh, around niche markets. It's been, uh, to me, just such a great example of how this can be done well. And and I'd love to talk to you in detail about that. And and of course, you know, the impact that that has on making you referable as well. But maybe we can just start and, and tell us a little bit about your business. Sure. So, you know, we, um, we're a professional service firm um, exclusively advising first-generation entrepreneurs. We got our start in uh, what I would call traditional financial planning and Evolved into uh, wealth management and realized over time that that uh, the clients that we can serve the best and we enjoy serving the most are our first generation entrepreneurs. And so we've uh, really redesigned our firm around dispensing advice and services uh, specifically to that that group of people. Um, and we are pretty disciplined about exclusively advising only that group of people. We through the process in 2004, again in 2007, of politely and professionally moving uh, folks off our books that weren't um, ever going to be first-generation entrepreneurs or were not. And uh, since about 2008, we've been, you know, very careful of only taking that population as as, uh, as clients. So can can I can I jump in and ask a question about that because you bring up something really important it's a question I get all the time and that is you know if if I focus on a target market and develop a niche will I lose the clients you know will I alienate the clients who are not in that niche but you took affirmative action to move them off can you tell tell us a little bit about how you did that and how it how it affected the business and um you know what what that was like to go through <clears throat> Well, actually, the first wave was really easy. We, we, um, the clients that we didn't, in, in, we didn't find very respectful to us. Uh, we asked them to leave first, and that was about twenty million dollars at a time that we had uh, uh, about two hundred eighty million dollars of assets under management. So it was a pretty big chunk of change. Um, and, and through that process, 
we started the process, it was interesting to watch my staff, how relieved they were to see me take action against people who were most problematic for them. And so it, it actually had this very uh, counterintuitive uh, sense of relief uh, to it. And so once we went through that first wave of people, the second, the second cut was harder because the people that we liked a lot and people that uh, uh, had bet on us you know, when I was starting out. But at the end of the day, it was a fairly easy message saying, hey, we're making this shift. And I don't, I'm not sure we're the right firm to serve you going forward. We had identified a couple other firms that uh, could easily pick up where we left off. And, and with the exception of really one client, everybody understood and they were fine and, uh, they were, I mean, they were fine and, 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 you know, gracious about it. And so we really got, we got a lot of thank yous um, and, and not, not much blowback at all. And where, where did they go? What did you do with them? We had, we had identified uh, three other advisors in the central Ohio marketplace that we literally talked to them in advance, talked to them in advance and said, would you be willing to take these type clients? And of course, the answers were yes. And so they, they all moved on. So, Randy, there's a couple of things in one, almost the first sort of sentence in how you described your business was we're a professional services firm. Um, could you, and that's a little different, obviously, than the way a lot of advisors are going to um, describe themselves as financial planners or financial advisors. Can you describe what you mean when you use that term? Yeah, so we do so much more than financial advising or wealth management. Uh, you know, we get involved with, with you know, companies helping them understand their cash flow, their capitalization, their leadership team compensation systems, uh, developing strategic plans, <clears throat> understanding their product mix, understanding um, how their financials relate to their personal situation. So it's so much more than simply what, what when one says financial advisor or wealth management, it's so much more. And so our experience was um, a couple fold. Number one, we kept getting... Our, our clients themselves are telling us this is way more than financial planning or wealth management. This is this is business consulting. This is life coaching, and and so so and you know we knew that because we've been doing it for so long and and but we just you know we're a little lazy possibly about about uh, changing the, the 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 wording of what we do. Um, the uh, and at the same time we also found ourselves in situations that. You know, you're out and out and about, and you meet somebody and say, "So, what do you do for a living?" And, and if I could say, "You know, we're a wealth management firm exclusively advising first generation entrepreneurs," I, I could see that I would lose them at the term wealth management. They just they just would stop. Um, if I reversed it and I said, "Hey," I'd say something effective. We exclusive exclusively advise first generation entrepreneurs. They're they're all attentive, and then I say around wealth management matters. I just I'd lose them again. So we finally just said, let's drop the whole wealth management piece and to say professional services firm. And it, it you know, in my opinion, it's it's inclusive of what we do, of course, but it, it's also other things. And 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 what happens when we articulate it that way, we there's always a second, third, fourth, fifth question. And the truth of the matter is that when you look at what we do, the and it's interesting, you know, the asset management piece of it and the financial planning piece is critical and crucial and and I'd argue it's cornerstone what we do but in terms of you look at the amount of time we spend with the client and the amount of, amount of time the client wants to spend on that topic it's a smidgen compared to everything else that we do and and so I felt like why emphasize that in our title when the reality is when you look at the broad range of services we provide it really is in terms of time spent 
a fairly small part of what we do. I'm and, and I'm so to, happy to hear you say that, uh, Julia. I'm sorry no, about that, but I, I um, the, because you know, so so many firms cling on to that wealth management term, and it and and partly because there is no generally agreed upon definition of what that means, but it comes with a lot of baggage in in terms of of the client's point of view. It, it's it's so it's so great to hear that. You know, you figured that out, and you know, you figured out how to describe yourself in a way that's more meaningful for the client. Yeah, I, I think so. And I just wanted to just to clarify, in terms of how you charge, it, that's is that an entirely a, a asset based fee, or or how do you ensure that you're compensated for the work that you do? Yeah, so we we have a you know I have my own registered investment advisor and. <clears throat> we have our, our contract with our clients that we charge a flat annual fee um, for, for for services rendered, which includes you know what we call a traditional financial planning review, and then we get into a, the business review of the company, and then also an annual your your tax relationship with your business, um, and that that's that generally is a minimum fee of twelve thousand dollars a year, regardless if you invest any money with us or not. And and so we have a separate uh, asset management fee as well, but the we actually have something along the lines of fifteen or twenty clients who have no money invested with us at all who are simply paying that fee. Okay. And 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 if you look at the it's it's interesting. You look at our client, our new clients last year. I think we brought in um, sixteen new clients last year. Half had assets half had net worths of over i'd say 15 million dollars and investable assets certainly over 5 we had one at i think 25 million um and then the other the other half had you know net worths probably in 2 and 3 million dollars but no investable assets at all so it was very it was a very um extreme you know, new client acquisition for us. We didn't have many people right in the middle. It was it was either nothing to invest, but they were paying the fee for the business, or they had had substantial assets and that we're you know working on a different set of matters for them. It, it, our process is this, is is generally well, it's the same for all the clients we, we have. We just we emphasize different points depending upon where they are in their business life cycle. Right, right. Now, and just, I mean, some of our listeners may have noticed that you've referred to first-generation business owners. Can you talk to us a bit about that very specific definition, not entrepreneurs generally? Well, I'm sorry, repeat that question? Because we, we refer to them as first-generation entrepreneurs. Okay, so as opposed to second-generation. <laughs> you, you've been very uh, specific in who you work with. Yes, I mean, the we have learned... Um, over time that first generation entrepreneurs really do view the world differently than most. Um, they have, they make similar mistakes. They have the same anxieties, pretty similar fears, pretty similar motivations. And, and those are very different than the second and third generation. In fact, in my opinion, and I wouldn't consider myself a subject matter expert on this, but my perception is many times the second generation, you, you don't know what you're going to get in terms of what their motivations are. And, and they're not necessarily consistent from one second generation person to the other, to the other, to the other. And so much of that has to do with family dynamics, birth order, size of the business, you know, who, who all economically is benefiting from the business. Where the first generation is always, it's very simple, very straightforward. And, and so... 
we've developed a lot of content and a lot of insight around what motivates um, a first-generation entrepreneur and also what their concerns are and the, and the mistakes they make over and over again that, generally speaking, we can help them get ahead of those mistakes. The, the other interesting thing about it is that first-generation entrepreneurs are pretty lonely folks. They don't, they don't have many people to turn to for advice. And let me rephrase that. They don't have the right people to turn to for advice. They, the, the, a very, very common mistake they make is they turn to the people they care about and care about them for advice, but those folks typically don't understand what they're talking about. They're not, they haven't, they're not first-generation entrepreneurs. They haven't been there, done that. So they're giving advice to people they care about, but it's generally the wrong advice. So there's no natural ecosystem for these people. And we really will en en envelop them into our process. And number one, you know, our clients are a community of first-generation entrepreneurs. Number two, we've developed um, relationships with all kinds of different uh, professional service firms who understand how first-generation entrepreneurs work. So we can immediately surround uh, our clients with an ecosystem of people who understand what they're going through and can help them you know, make the right decisions. And when you, um, I mean, I don't know if the, the answer to this is obvious, but let me ask how you think about it. We, you know, we're talking about becoming referable, and I want to dig into exactly how your business is different for, for this audience, but how do you think this approach makes you more referable? Well, um, first and foremost, our client base uh, understands what we do. And so as they see other first-generation entrepreneurs, they tend to be a little bit more passionate about referring us to, to that, you know, to their friends. And so there's a, you know, again, this is my, I've been doing this since 1991. And in the beginning, uh, we, you know, did financial planning for anybody and everybody. And so I've, I've experienced referrals from a whole variety of folks. There, there's a degree of difference for sure around uh, getting the referrals today than what I did 20 years ago around, hey, these people really know what they're doing. Really, you know, we, 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 can, we can get access to people who we couldn't get to before. Uh, number two, and probably more importantly than that, is the professional service firm referrals, the, the, the lawyers and the accountants and the insurance agents. We've done and we continue to work hard at educating them to what we do because they're far more passionate now um, about re referring us than they were before. And, and, and we don't, you know, it used to be that the lawyer might refer two or three advisors. That's not the case anymore. If they, they have a first-generation entrepreneur client, they're saying, you got to talk to this firm. And, and, you know, for a while there, I was positioning it to the lawyers that, look, if you have a first-generation entrepreneur client, you're being reckless by not having them at least talk to us because we know we we know much more about that what that person needs than the average person does. It's it's an interesting turn of phrase there because and I don't know if I've 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 heard that where it's you've got people who are passionate about referring and you don't usually hear that with professionals, right? It's it's Correct. more yeah, I've got somebody who's got this need, but now they're actually it's almost like they're out there looking to right. to help their clients. That's that's really cool. And I, and I think that goes back to something, Julie, that you and I talk about, which is, you know, people refer because it helps their friend. People refer because, you know, it, it's an opportunity to solve a friend's problem. And if, and if they see somebody as potentially useful and, and maybe a good contact, then they'll, 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 you know, they'll mention somebody. But if they really believe that this is the person who will solve their friend's problem, then they're going to be more passionate about it. I think that's, that's, it's yeah. excellent proof, and and it and it's a, and and Randy, it's a great way to have positioned yourself for that. 
I mean, the, the simple analogy is this. If, you, if you're friends with the best cardiologist in, in, in the country and you've got a friend who's got a heart problem, you're going to be really passionate about referring to that cardiologist. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's the same thing. Um, it, it, it feels different because one's a medical need versus uh, you know, life need, but it's really quite the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's talk a little bit about um, what this means to your business. So um, you, you've got this focus on first-generation entrepreneurs. How does that then manifest itself in terms of your offer, your infrastructure, your team? I know that's a lot, but maybe you can walk us through that. Well, the, the fundamental... I could spend three hours answering that question for you. <laughs> okay. Right ahead. And in it's three minutes. No. <laughs> the, the, the fundamental issue is that our whole service offering is rooted around helping the first generation entrepreneur understand what does the business mean to them today and what does it mean to them tomorrow. And so when you think about today, there's the, the, the simple functions of – what does a business need to do cash flow wise to support all of your goals? What's your emotional relationship to the business and how does that compete with your marriage and your children and your investment and your personal time? And and so often the first generation entrepreneur just they just can't see you know the the forest through the trees. And and so um so we you know, we help them really understand what that means today. And the second piece is, what does it need to look like tomorrow? So as you get older, as you have maybe uh, less energy or or said another way, you have more distractions, um, you, you know, the, the, the stakes with your children are higher, the stakes with your marriage are probably higher, um, and you have a need for this business to monetize, you know, provide uh, a permanent monetary uh, value that supports your life, uh, you know, at some point in time, independent of the business, um, they just don't understand the relationship between those two data points, those two time zones. And, and so we really help crystallize for them, hey, here's where you are today. Here's what needs to change immediately. And then secondly, here's where we need to go uh, in order to support everything you want to do. And, and so much of it's rooted, and I think a lot of, there's a lot of great advisors out there who do a great job with what I'm going to say next, but, you know, so much is rooted in what are your life goals? And so, you know, I think we spend, I think we do a great job extracting at a really root, you know, a rudimentary level, uh, what are your life goals? And, and what, are the, what are the, you know, the entrepreneur and then the spouse and, and make sure they're on the same page? And then how does the business align with that? So, you know, we've just, we've been there, done that. We've seen it a zillion times. And so we, we can see how usually this stuff plays out. So anyway, our service offering is rooted around helping people accomplish that, you know, the, 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 that understanding of where they are today and where they need to be tomorrow. Um, and, and, then, and then also playing defense that so often first-generation entrepreneurs are pushing so hard on, on, on moving forward, they're not looking at, you know, some obvious speed bumps they have in front of them today. And so we help identify what those are and then fix them. And every year we evaluate, you know, what are, what are your risks you have and help, you know, help eliminate those risks or eliminate them for the client. And then, and keep playing offense too. So keep growing the business in a fashion that they're still being a great parent. They're still being a great spouse. Uh, how do you make the bridge 
between the um, between the business goals and the personal goals? How do you how do you bring those together in your process? Well, it's so funny you say that, and you know, it's one of the things that first race entrepreneurs have in common. They they can't differentiate them in their life either, and and right. and so it's not very hard uh, to, to a identify them. The um, you know what it's years ago. Um, I heard Marcus Buckingham speak, and and um, you know he talked about the idea of you should only do those things that you're best in the world at doing. That, that's at least the message I heard, and it clicked with me that you know we we keep hearing about this work life balance thing, and the reality is that um, balance. I mean, you think about you think about a teeter totter. You know, balance means you know one's up, one's down. Something always has to give. And, and, and the reality is it's, it's really about integration of all those things that are important to you in life that you're, and, and things that you're great at doing. So, so the first of which is, you know, what identifying, what are those things that the entrepreneur is great at doing? What are those things they, they want to be great at doing? Um, and, then, and then more importantly, what are those things that they're not very good at doing and getting them off their plate? Whether it be, whether it's in the business, it's at home, it's other, you know, and, and help them integrate their life together. So, a simple example would be, look, if you need to, you know, go to a, a conference and wherever, and it, and it's coming at the expense of uh, of missing some family time, take your family with you. Don't 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 fight it. Integrate it, um, y- you know. And and so, so rearrange your schedule so you can go to your kids' lunch at school on on Tuesdays or whatever the case may be. And so we spend a lot of time around helping the entrepreneur and the spouse getting on the same page is what are those most important things they want to do and integrate them. Um, so, so, so there's no competition. And then, and then the second piece of it is eliminate those things that need to go. This is such an, I mean, we're all entrepreneurs here, so I'm sure we can, <laughs> and everyone listening can relate to how important, and just even frankly, surfacing these conversations, um, which very few people do when you're just talking about money. And yet this gets to the heart in my mind of what matters to so many entrepreneurs. Uh, but just let me pick up on, because you're talking about your offer, which extends, I, I, you know, all of these conversations, I think, are part of your offer. But you're going beyond that as, as well. And, and you mentioned uh, to me earlier about this emerging entrepreneur program. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing there? I think it's really very cool. Sure. You know, we recognize that we still have occasionally a perception problem out there with what is it exactly we do. And and so sometimes when it was um, appropriate for a company to hire us, um, you know, they were they 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 maybe hired Merrill Lynch or um, somebody else because they didn't fully understand what we did. So we decided to change the game and and really provide an offering for businesses that would ordinarily be a little small to hire us. And it's really a $300,000 to million or $300,000 to $2 million business. And it's, it's got nothing to do with securities, nothing to do with insurance. And it's all rooted in helping, you know, four and five businesses fail within five years. And we don't have proof yet around the, the changes, but are, are, are trying to say that if you go through this program, your odds change that, you know, one in five will fail. And, and so it's rooted in the, you know, business topics and, and more importantly, sequencing. So as an example, the first session, which all sessions are once a month and they last four and a half, five hours, and they're in a, a, a classroom-based environment. Um, 
that uh, the first session is, you know, you walked away with a written executable business plan. Second session and, and really fundamental to uh, entrepreneurs in this growth phase is understanding the dif- difference between cash flow and profit. They just don't get that. <laughs> that they look at their, their 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 financials and say, "Well, we're profitable, but where's the cash?" Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we're profitable, but we can't pay our bills. Correct. Yeah. Um, the third session is developing good financial habits and financial reporting. Fourth session is um, capitalization and and financial modeling. Fifth session is deliberate culture development. The sixth is marketing and pricing of your product and service. Seventh is operations and et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a, a program that that you go through and 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 really we we say we clean up the issues first, clean up the problem areas first, take away the biggest risks, and by the end of it you're able to play offense and really try to focus on scalability and growth. And so by the end of that year, their next you know it's a real simple our experience has been like what's next? How do we hire? What what do we do now? And so there's zero resistance into joining us on, as, a, as a normal client, uh, what we call our established client, our established entrepreneur. Very interesting. And so how is this just something that's available to any entrepreneur who fits into that, that revenue range? Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, it's, we, we have deliberately not said first generation only um, because we feel that there's, there's, a universe of folks that that you know, if you're that small of a business um, and you're a second generation, you actually might be thinking like a first <laughs> generation. Um, and so, but yeah, any entrepreneur who's in that in that uh, revenue range is welcome to to join. So you know, one of the things that um, is it's very tactical and specific that I've noticed about your business is is the website that you've built. And, you know, Steve, you know, we always talk about this notion that the website really is that welcome mat. And if you need to arrive there and know that this is exactly the right advisor for you, and I would say that you have done that, uh, and we'll make sure we put links up so people can see what you've done, but in a very specific way. Can you can you talk us a little through the strategy around what you've got on the site, how you think about your messaging? Yeah, so we, you know, we wanted to be clear that our focus is first-generation entrepreneurs, and just at a minimum, that when when you know there's somebody who's thinking about hiring somebody like us, they land on our site, they they recognize that we are in fact different, and we do understand what they're going through. Um, the second thing, which we're getting better at doing, is is putting out content to to. It's one thing to say that you focus on first-generation entrepreneurs; is the second thing to prove it. And because they do need a lot of proof around that you know what you're talking about, and it, it really that that population specifically is that they they really do need proof around. Um, I understand they they believe you know you, you can help them, and and so we're putting more and more content out there uh, around that we you know on certain topics that we're doing that. Uh, um, that really prove we know we, we are experts. And lastly, we've been doing more and more public speaking and more and more uh, public uh, workshops. We're using that website as a, a, a tool to uh, promote those as well and, 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 and reinforce uh, in that, again, we know what we're doing. And one of the things that I don't, and I, I'll ask you if this was intentional or not, but something that really struck me is that when you go to your website, it's 
it seems clear why you work with this target. Like you, you're very, like I feel like you have a, a passion for it and it comes through. And the other thing I would say is, and now correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a single photo of you and your team standing in front of your office um, <laughs> as a group. I don't see any looking, cherry front Looking there, highly you know. uncomfortable. Um, so there's sort of a... I, don't, I wouldn't say casual, but it's almost like your personality comes through in the photography and whatnot. Was that, I mean, did you work with somebody who helped you with that? Did you have a vision for that? So you broke up about a third of the way through what you were saying. I really didn't hear the question. The last thing I heard you say was um, that we don't have any photos of us in a group standing looking at. You know, stiffly in suits looking at the camera. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're casual and we, you know, try to be, we don't, I'd say we're, we're, we're ourselves, you know, and we don't, I don't believe in a lot of that pomp and circumstance. And so, um, the, you know, we, we did have a picture at one point up there of us doing a, building a pyramid. Um, and, <laughs> and I think somebody said, you know, that's a, maybe a little too casual. Uh, <laughs> you found the line. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Although there there are, I can think of one firm in specific that might do something like that. But it strikes me that that you know the pictures on your site, you know, look to me like you know, you dress and and you're posed the way that I would expect to see your clients when I walked into the where they work. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's you know that's that was so that was a very deliberate choice that we look and feel like our clients look and feel. So when they walk in our office. And our office is very different. The physical structure of it is very different. Um, they they know that this is home. They feel at home. And I, we hear this 100% of the time when somebody walks in here for the first time and say, wow, this feels great or this is cool or whatever. And it's the same, you know, we dress the way our clients dress and, and we do the same things they do. I mean, that's that's part of the beauty of working with that population of folks. They're fun people. Uh, they like to have fun. They like to They like to push life and... Um, you know, we've designed our complete service offering around that. And so I think there was a question around, do we get help to do that professionally? I mean, Mm -hmm. I knew intuitively that we needed to look and feel like our clients. Um, we did have somebody help us with the colors and, and some of the specifics, but the, the, the notion of, um, I mean, one of the things that when you walk in here, the first thing you notice is that we don't have any drawers anywhere, literally. It's very open. It's very transparent. It's, you see you see everything. And that was very deliberate. That I want our class to say that this place is transparent. There's no – nothing is hidden. It's all out in the open. Awesome. So um, I know we're getting close to time, although, frankly, I'm, Steve, you probably agree. We could probably go on for, for oh, hours absolutely. on this. It's, it's, I just – there's, you know, some conversations, which I just love, where you can see the strategy really coming to life. And it strikes me that doing that just takes a good dose of courage and confidence to say, yeah, we, we're not going to work with everyone, and we're going to make changes that are for this group. And – Absent of making those tough decisions, you know, you just don't get the same kind of results. So, really appreciate that about your your business. And let um, me add, let me add yeah. something about that because I think that the, you have to be sincere about mm-hmm. working with the people you work with. And and so, for me, this whole thing started with 
a very simple question that happened in March 2000 when the the market was crashing. It was really my you know my first big market crash in the business, and and you you saw you know I was paying attention to my emotional reaction to it and our client's emotional reaction and. I really asked myself the question. And at the time, I was, I don't know, 30 years old or something. And, um, and not even that. I, and I said, gosh, if I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life, who, who do I like working for? And I, so I spent a year, you know, really studying who is it I enjoy working for? And then the, the sec- second obvious question is, who don't I enjoy working for? And, and so for me, this was a, this was a very selfish choice. This was about, me being happy in my life first and foremost and and so had it that would love to tell you that it was brilliant and strategic and and you know I figured out the economics and we went with it that that wasn't it at all it was st- strictly rooted in who do I like working for <clears throat> who makes me happy <clears throat> who gives me less stress and that was the population that for me worked and so any advice I would give anybody listening to this podcast would be, look, you know, be sincere. Who, who do you like working for? Who do you identify with the most? Who gives you the most happiness and joy? And, and, and then when you think about it in those terms, there really isn't much courage or bravery anymore. It becomes natural, you know? And, but you got to start from a fundamental place versus who can I make the most money from? Oh, this poor grandmother, yeah. but, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and look, I couldn't agree more. In fact, it's it's part of the premise of, of the book I just wrote that it starts with with personal engagement. And and then the irony, of course, is it does tend to have a financial impact that's positive when you do sure. that. Yeah, because right? you love it. Because you love it. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, look, we um, we're going to wrap up because I know we're at time. Is there is there just anything else that you wanted to add before I do that about the future of your business or, or advice that you have? I want to make sure I capture that. Um, the advice piece I think I just gave. Yeah. Um, you know, the future is is you know along those same lines of who do you enjoy working for. One of the things that dawned on me about three or four years ago was. At the time, we were focused on our established entrepreneur client. The emerging program hadn't started, but it became clear to me a few years ago that you know we need to serve the life cycle of a first-generation entrepreneur from a startup phase to emerging to established to legacy. And so, from our business perspective, I think within the next five years, you'll see us build out that whole life cycle, and we'll have products for each one of those populations that are very tailored and specific to them. I hope so. That's that's yeah. that's the plan, at least. Well, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. Well, look, thank you so much for your time again. Thank you, guys. Uh, I know people are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, and take care. You too. Talk to you soon. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.